song in the name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe see it. Real quick, one thing I failed to mention that if you need to get up and use the restrooms, they're over here, by the way. But if you will, walk behind my lovely bride who's on the front row. She's recording in the center, so there's an opening behind her if you just walk behind her on the way to the restroom or out to get coffee. Help yourself, by the way. If you want more coffee, it's all yours. Help yourself at any time. But this morning, we're going to read from John chapter 14. And so if you have your Bible or you have a phone, you can go ahead and go there. They'll also be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Uh, we've been spending the last few weeks looking at some of the things that Jesus said about himself, right? Some of the things that he said to communicate to us exactly who he is and who he is not. He made several what we call I am statements, right? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. And so if you want to know who Jesus is, the good news for, it, for us is that he tells us. So if you want to check out those sermons, you can find a link to them on our website, gatheringatl.com. But today is Easter. Today we celebrate the greatest event in all of human history, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything we as Christians believe hinges on the validity of the resurrection. If the resurrection did not happen, then absolutely none of this matters. Right? If the resurrection did not happen, we might as well just go home right now. Because all of this that we're doing is completely worthless without the resurrection. I want to be very clear about that. See, the reason I am a Christian is because I know that the resurrection, resurrection happened. You cannot be a Christian without believing that the resurrection occurred. It all hinges on that one event. And so today is kind of a big deal. Now, some of you know the story, right? You know what happened that first Easter morning. But maybe there are others in here who, who just know it in passing. right? You've heard that Jesus rose from the grave, but that's pretty much all you might know today. And so you may not really understand the why, right? Why did Jesus come back to life? And if he did come back to life, what does that mean for me and for you. When you leave here today, I hope you will not only understand why the resurrection matters, but also believe the resur resurrection happened and then let Easter change your life. And so look at what happened on that first Easter. Uh, it's in John 20. You can stay where you are. I'm just going to read from John 20 real quick. It says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciples outran Peter and reached the tomb first. By the, by the way, the other disciple is the guy writing this, so don't be like how he threw that in there and he outran Peter. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Church, I believe that happened. I have no doubts. 
You might. And if you do, if you have doubts about Easter, I want you to know you are in the right place. Because we love doubters around here. We love people asking questions. In fact, it was a question that led to the I am statement that we're going to look at today. And so if you doubt the resurrection actually happened, then I just want you to own that to yourself. Don't be ashamed of it. Right? If you aren't really sure the resurrection happened, just say, I'm not really sure. Don't be embarrassed. Don't think anyone here is going to ask you to leave the church. Right? We'll even let you have more coffee. It's okay. Remember, we are the perfect church for imperfect people. And so if you don't believe this, it's okay. The question remains, how do we get here? How do we get to Easter? See, you can't have a resurrection without a dead body. Right? I think we can all agree on that. Even if you don't believe the resurrection happened, that Jesus physically walked out of that tomb, you still understand that if it did happen, it couldn't have happened unless Jesus was actually dead. This past Friday is known as Good Friday. This is the day that we remember Jesus being killed on the cross, right? On the cross, the sinless Son of God took our sin upon himself and took the punishment that was meant for you and me. What does that mean? You see, every one of us, every single one of us, myself included, is a sinner. We need to hear this. I know it's not it's, it's uncomfortable to hear, but we are all sinners. Even if we don't always agree on what is a sin and what isn't a sin, we can all probably agree that people sin, right? People mess up. People do things that hurt other people. People do things that hurt themselves. But it goes beyond that, right? Sin isn't really about what we don't like. Sin is anything that, God, that goes against the will and the commandments of God. Whether it's cheating on a test or cheating on your spouse, it's all sin in God's eyes. And in God's eyes, it's all the same. Sin is sin. Your sin is no worse than my sin. My sin is no worse than your sin, at least in the eyes of God. Right? While we might face different consequences here on earth based on our sins, we all face the same consequences when we die. Eternal separation from our Creator, God the Father. No matter what your sin is, hear this, church. No matter what your sin is, we are destined for hell without the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus on the cross meant he bore the punishment that was meant for us. He suffered a horrible death because he loves you. He suffered a horrible death so that our sins could be forgiven. It is the blood of Jesus that covers us when we repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness. And when the Father looks at us, he no longer sees our sins. Hear me, Jesus did indeed die. The Romans made sure of it. And trust me, the Romans know how, knew how to kill people. Right? The cross was, up to that point, the perfect torture device. It was the most torturous way for a person to die. Jesus physically died. And then he was taken down, he was placed in a borrowed tomb. Jesus, the Son of God, didn't even have his own tomb. But that's probably because he knew he wouldn't need it very long. Right? I mean, why buy a house if you're going to live in it for three days? That doesn't make sense. That's why we have Airbnbs, right? And so I guess this tomb was like the Airbnb of tombs, right? Uh, at least you get to say that you heard that in church. That's probably the only place you're going to hear that, that Jesus' tomb was an Airbnb. Uh, you're welcome for that. But his body was physically placed 
in that borrowed tomb, and a large stone was rolled in front of the entrance to keep grave robbers out, and then Roman soldiers guarded the tomb. Now, if I were to ask you how many soldiers guarded that tomb, what would you say? Hold up fingers if you can. Two? Two? You all say two? Five? All right. The reality is we're not really sure. All right? But there's enough evidence from the Bible and historical accounts of the Roman military that there were probably at least four soldiers there. But it could have been much more than that. See, Pilate ordered that the grave be made as secure as possible. Now, considering that there were 11 disciples at this point, I don't think two soldiers would have been enough. And there is a chance that, that when we read the word guard... It meant the same thing as squad, right? So we're talking about a pretty large number of soldiers and maybe even some of the Pharisees' own people. It could have been at least 50 soldiers guarding that tomb. It was being guarded like it was Fort Knox. No one was going to get into that grave unless the guards let them. And nothing was going to come out of that grave without the guards knowing. They were there to make sure that no one messed with the body. Not out of respect. They didn't care about Jesus. But because they feared his body would be stolen and his followers would make it look like he came back to life. See, the political and religious leaders were trying to keep a fake resurrection from happening. And yet, three days later, he walked out of that tomb. There was no need to fake it, church. The real thing happened. But the cause of the disciples could be pretty dense at times. They were not prepared for it. Even though the scriptures said that it would happen, and even though Jesus had told them, they just missed it. And that brings us to this I am statement that I want us to look at. It's John 14, starting in verse 1. Jesus said this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for, for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let's begin with some context here. Jesus and his disciples uh, had just enjoyed their last Passover meal together. It was during that meal that Jesus announced that, that one of the disciples would betray him, and then he pointed to Judas. And then Peter, being Peter, proudly announced that he would never betray Jesus, to which Jesus replied, yeah, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times before morning. But right before Jesus uh, right before that, Jesus said, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. So after telling Peter that he will betray Jesus three times, Jesus went back to the fact that he was nearing the time of his death. And that gets us to the passage we just read. He says, Do not let your heart, hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. Now, when he talked about his Father's house, he's talking about heaven. 
And the full meaning of that is, is lost on us since we did not live in their culture. But, but for Jesus to say that one day uh, that they would all be living in the Father's house, it would have been mind-blowing to the Jews. And then Jesus said, you know the way to the place I'm going. And here you have to remember that the 12 disciples were all men. Okay? The 12 disciples were all men. And so when Jesus said, you know the way to the place where I am going, even if they didn't know the way, being men, they were not going to admit it, right? Many of you know that my family and I drove to Yellowstone and the Grand Canyon last year. And if you've never been to Yellowstone, uh, it's an incredible place. But just, just know there isn't great cell coverage, right? And so we were camping for six days there in Yellowstone, and most days... Our phones just didn't work. They were useless. And by the way, it was amazing, right? Not having any technology was great. But it also caused some problems when it came to finding our way around the park. We had a folding map and, and my sense of direction, which I had always prided myself on because I am a man after all. And yet I lost count of the number of times my wife had to correct me, right? I would say, we're heading west, baby. And she would, no, we're not. We're going east. You are so, oh yeah, there's the sun, you're right. Okay, that happened time and time again. I have to confess, it wasn't easy discovering that I didn't know where I was. But fortunately, I was with someone who knew the way. Right? It can be a bit unnerving when you don't know how to get to where you want to go. And it can be embarrassing to admit that you don't know what others might know. I mean, that's why I never ask questions in school. I always just assumed I was the only one asking the question. That didn't stop Thomas. Thomas was someone who needed straight answers. Right? Thomas wanted evidence for things. Thomas was the one who said he would not believe Jesus rose from the dead unless he could touch the wounds in Jesus' hands. And so while all the other men in the room pretended to know what Jesus was talking about, Thomas wanted some clarity. And so Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I've said this before, but life is all about standing in line, right? From the moment we can walk, we spend the rest of our lives just standing in line. We line up in school to use the water fountain. We line up for graduation. We line up to wait for the taco we just ordered. Life is just a series of lines in which we have to wait. But we know that there's more to that, right? There's more to life than just that. We also know life is about trying to figure out exactly how you want to get where you want to go. So Thomas needed to know the way. Jesus replied, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he made three claims about himself. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. And then if you flip back to the 11th chapter, we find Jesus dealing with, the two, with two sisters whose brother Lazarus had just had died. And Lazarus and his sisters were, were friends of Jesus. And they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He was God with us, God in the flesh. And so they had a hard time that when, that when Jesus found out about Lazarus' death or near death, he didn't come immediately. He waited. And that upset the sisters. Right? If Jesus had come earlier, Lazarus would, wouldn't be dead. To which Jesus replied, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. So here we have one more description of who Jesus is. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he is the resurrection. The church, I want you to catch something in that verse in John 11. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He did not say, I am the life and the resurrection. Why? Why does that matter? Or does it matter at all? Right? Because here's the thing, church. Life does not lead to resurrection. Life only comes after resurrection. Well, then you're asking, well, what was before resurrection? Isn't that life? I mean, let's say we die one day and then we we're resurrected. Weren't we alive before we died and after we were resurrected? Well, in one sense, yes. Physically, yes. You're alive, but you have no life. See, we like to confuse the two. Having life and being alive are not the same thing. Now, we understand that in the sense of someone who's in a coma, right? They're technically alive, but as long as they're in that coma, they don't have much of a life. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. See, I believe Jesus was intentional about everything he said. I don't believe he mixed his words around. He put them in the proper order. And so when he says that he is the resurrection and the life, I believe he's making a point. See, before resurrection is death, after resurrection is life. But don't misunderstand me, church. I'm not talking about physical death. Everything outside of Jesus, everything outside of Jesus is death. Every single one of us was born into death. All around us is death. I think we all know this, even if we can't give specifics, right? We can just feel death all around us, the vitriol we spew at people who think diff differently than us, the brokenness at homes all around these Cobb, school shootings, the killing of babies, wars, disease, addiction, and the list can go on and on and on. It's just death upon death upon death. The problem is, I don't think anyone would have argued that Lazarus was dead. Right? His sisters knew he was dead. He'd been dead for four days. Now, after the first day, maybe you go, oh, maybe he's still alive. After that fourth day, you're pretty sure. I think we'd all be pretty confident after that second or third or fourth day. He was dead, and everyone knew it. But our problem is, outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we are all dead, but we just don't know it. And I know we don't like to hear that. Here's the thing. I don't know too many people who like death, right? Accepting death is difficult. It took me years to accept the death of my brother, even though his death was covered all over the news. He was killed in a commercial airline crash. We didn't want to accept his death. We didn't want to admit that what we had could not continue. And so I lost my relationship with my brother on May 11th, 1996. It could not continue after that Saturday. And so no one wants to admit 
that the life they built is actually dead. No one wants to admit the things that they enjoy only brings death into their lives. No one wants to admit that they chose to live their life uh, the way they chose to live it, and it's only led to death. It's even difficult to hear, even if we know the preacher isn't talking about us, right? Because it's not a popular message. You're living in death. It's not. That's why it's not on the sign out there. It doesn't say the gathering church. You're living in death, right? It's not a great marketing strategy. You know, do you know what is a popular message? Life. Life. And not just any life, church, but life in abundance. A life of blessings. A life of helping advance the God of creation's love story to his creation. But see, hear me, church. Life cannot come without resurrection. And resurrection can't come out of anything but death. We cannot experience a resurrection unless we accept the reality of our own death. Your broken marriage cannot experience resurrection unless you admit your marriage is dead outside of Jesus Christ. The broken relationship with your child will not experience resurrection until you admit that the relationship with your child is dead outside of Jesus Christ. When you realize that death is the door to resurrection, you view death a whole lot differently. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The only way to life is through resurrection. The only way to get where Jesus went is by walking the journey from death to resurrection to life to life eternal. It's in the life eternal. It's in heaven that we're ushered into the Father's house. And shown our room. And I find this interesting. This, this dawned on me this week. I find it interesting that the one who went to prepare a room for each of us in his father's mansion is the same one who had to be born in a dirty cave because there was no room in the end. The one who went to prepare a room for each of us in his father's mansion is the same one who said foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus didn't even have a place to sleep, but he's going to his father's house to make a room for you. That's what Jesus has done for you. He took on flesh. God emptied himself out so that he could be fully human as well as fully divine. Jesus, Jesus was born in a cave. Once he began his ministry, uh, he had no home. He was despised and hunted down. He was put through a mock trial. He was whipped and tortured. He had a mocking crown of thorns shoved on his head. His hands and his feet were nailed to a cross. A mocking sign that said the king of the Jews was nailed to the cross above his head. He drowned in his own blood as he hung on the cross. And after it was all Already dead, his side was pierced with a spear. Why? Even if you struggle in believing the resurrection actually happened, you still have to ask the question why would Jesus do that? Could it be that he knew something that we don't? Jesus died because he knew we were dead in our sins. And Jesus rose from the grave so that we could truly live. That's what Easter is, church. It's a celebration of Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection that he offers me and you. 
It's a day to celebrate what Jesus has done in our lives. And so church, today I celebrate because I was a great sinner, but my Savior was greater. It's because I surrendered to the great I am that I got to, I got to leave behind the I was. I was gifted with life. I didn't even have to pay for it because it was already handled by Jesus on the cross. When I accepted, I was dead. I was brought into life. So some of you need a resurrection in your life today. Some of you know right now that your marriage is dead. Right now you know that you feel dead inside. Right now you know that you feel death in some area of your life. You know the things that you are doing in your life is only bringing death into your life. Some of you might just now be realizing the death in which you've been living. So I want you to listen very carefully. Jesus is alive. Do you hear me? Jesus is alive. What does it mean? It means we can be alive. But only because he is alive. Because he's the resurrection and the he is the way. He is the truth. He is life. He is the only way to life. He's the only way to truth. And he's the only way to do the Father. Do you want to be alive, church? If he's done it for me, I promise you, he can do it for you. Do you want your marriage to be alive? If he's done it for our marriage, he can do it for your marriage. Do you want your relationships to be alive? If he's done it for my relationships, he can do it for your relationships. Jesus looked at Martha, Lazarus' sister, and said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who <coughs> believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? If you need to experience resurrection in your life, if you need life to invade your death, Jesus is here right now to meet your need. Jesus rose from the grave to meet your need. All you have to do, church, is believe. To surrender your heart, your life, your all to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. The Savior of the world. The Savior of Jared. The Savior of Liam. The Savior of my children. Will you surrender? Will you bow down to the King and experience life and life to the fullest? Today is an incredibly special day for me. Not just because it's Easter. This guy sitting over here, Matt, just stay there for a second. Matt Schneider. Matt and I met in eighth grade. I've mentioned this before, so some of you know. We met in eighth grade. That was over 30 years ago. That hurts. Um, good grief. We've been friends ever since. Well, mostly ever since. Uh, but we've been friends for a long, long time. And just over the years, you know, he knows who I am. He knows who my dad is. He's a pastor. And so he's been around me and, you know, the, the hearing about church. But Matt didn't grow up in church. In fact, your, your family was kind of an antagonistic towards the church, to be fair. Well, I, we planted this church, and I invited Matt to come. He lives over in uh, Johns Creek off the Holcomb Bridge. It was a little bit of a drive, so he didn't come, which didn't surprise me because it's a long drive. But then, one Sunday, he showed up here, and he hasn't left. He's remaining. 
the other month, we did a 21-day fast. And Matt participated. Now, for those that don't know Matt, he's had four kidney transplants. Um, he's got many uh, uh, medical issues. And so he has a limited diet. And so for him to take on a fast was a huge step of faith. And he did it. And on the third day, third day, Matt, third day, the Lord said, Matt, you need to be baptized. So I talked to Matt this week and said, Matt, do you love Jesus? And I got to hear my friend of 30 years say, yes. That's the resurrection. That's why it matters. And so Matt, come up here. We're, we're, we're going to get to baptize Matt today. Come on, brother. to ask you? The answers are, I do. Matt, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried? On the third day, he rose again. He, descended, he ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Please answer, I do. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting? Please answer, I do. Matt, do you repent of your sins? Matt, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord? Matt Schneider, do you love Jesus? Praise God, praise God. All right. If you want to be baptized, and I'm serious about this, if you want to be baptized, all you got to do is stand up and walk down here right now. I know it's like, I'm not getting up in front of all these people. It's fine. If you want to be baptized, you're welcome to come down here anytime, and we will baptize you. But that's the resurrection, church. Death to life. Do you want it? Because it's yours. If you take it. If you surrender. 
that's yours. If you're experiencing any death in your life, give it to Jesus. And he'll bring life out of it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this glorious day, Lord. A day to celebrate not only the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, but also to celebrate the saving and the washing clean of my brother Matt. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the grave. We thank you for leaving it. And Lord, now you call us to walk out of the grave. You call us to leave behind death and step into life. And Lord, you know how difficult that can be for us. Because where we are, even if it's dead, it's what we know. It feels comfortable to us. The idea of stepping into something new is, is frightening. It's scary. So Holy Spirit, give us courage to lay down what we need to lay down. Give us courage to admit where the death is in our lives so that we can experience one of those glorious days of resurrection. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's celebrate. Come on.